0: Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Sarah McFooling. I'm absolutely delighted to be here today with my colleague, Shanu Prasad, talking to the amazing Sally Thorne. Hi,
1: Sally. Oh, hi. Thank you, Sarah and Shanu, for having me.
0: We are delighted to have you on. on? We're we're big fans and we've both um, just read your upcoming book. But for the people listening, would you
1: mind just outlining a little bit about
0: um, Second
1: First Impressions? Ah, starting off with an easy question, huh? Actually, it's probably (laughs) a hard one because I haven't had to talk about this book much yet. Um, Second First Impressions is about a young lady who feels pretty old. Uh, She works in the front office of a retirement villa, a luxury retirement villa for very wealthy old people. And Ruthie feels like she's about 125 years old. Uh, And just as she's starting to think about maybe dipping her toe back in the dating scene, Uh, she basically gets mistaken as a little old lady by a really gorgeous guy riding a motorbike. And it's just absolutely humiliating for her. And when she finds out that he's the son of the property developer who's bought her retirement villa, and he's here and needing a job and a place to stay, she has a really good idea about how to get a little bit of revenge on Teddy Prescott, um, her most wealthy and eccentric Uh, residents are the Paoloni sisters, and they only hire young men as their personal assistants. It's a really hard job. On the surface, it seems easy, you know, run down and get fresh flowers and go and get them take out and pop into Chanel and pick up a new coin purse for them. But they layer the job with so much humiliation that none of their boys have lasted for a week. So Ruthie's got this young guy needing a job, and she thinks, I think that I'll um, let him go up and work for the Pa'lonis. Um But to her surprise, Teddy's not a quitter.
0: <laughs> I love the concept of the Parloni boys so much. I'm laughing just hearing you go over the plot. It's so delightful.
2: Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, setting a book, Yeah, I was going to say, setting a romance book in a retirement village, that's not something that, you know, one would immediately think of. Um, although it was, you know, if I have to retire somewhere, that seemed like a great place to retire to and I'd like to retire there. Um, but can you tell us about how that came to be? Why did you decide that that's the setting for the newest book? This book is a
1: daydream and a story that I used to tell my friend back probably 10 years ago when I worked in a miserable office job. Uh, have you ever had a friend at work and they were just the person that basically kept you alive? And if that person wasn't at work, (laughs) you were dead by 5pm. That was my friend for me. And Kate and I used to send each other emails because we worked on different floors. And I'd say that when we are old and when we are very rich and our husbands have died, rest in peace, we were going to live together in a retirement (laughs) villa as roommates. And we were going to hire a young guy to be our personal assistant and He was going to do everything we said, and so we used to just banter backwards and forwards with these little daydreams of the errands we would send him out on. And um, it's such a treat to now have a job. Fast forward to twenty twenty one, where um, HarperCollins New York said, "Sounds great, write it." <laughs> and it was <laughs> great. Probably. So <laughs> I think Shani,
0: you you might be that person for me. I don't think I would make it through most days at work if we couldn't talk about books. Um, and yeah, we've had some great same. discussions about second first impressions and and your backlist titles, um, Sally. Like we've we've had lots of chats, and one thing that has come up is the way uh, I I love how you what you do with romance tropes. So I love how um, looking back you could what you did with uh the enemies to lovers trope in uh the hating game and how you kind of put your own spin on that and then um in 99% mine there was like unrequited love mixed with a bit of friends to lovers um Bro- a brother's best friend <laughs> yes yes <laughs>
1: yeah, um
0: yeah. The and citizen. so <laughs> if you were we'll tell you what we think is in the new one but first of all if you would if you were saying to someone what tropes you played with um for this new one what would you say they are
1: oh well i usually do start picking a trope when i first start a draft and this is definitely my attempt at friends to lovers i think it's also a forced proximity book oh i do love a bit of that uh i've read just about every trope I have read every trope that there is because I used to steal my grandma's Mills and Boone uh, for any US uh, U.S. listeners, their Harlequin romance novels. And I used to hide them and read them. And I think by the time I was 13 years old, I had read every single one. Uh, and I think <laughs> I think forced proximity is always going to be my jam. Um, and in Second First Impressions, Petty's actually moved into the little cottage next door to Ruthie's because she lives on site not only does she work there and spend all her time there she also lives there <laughs> um, um and she's pretty sure she's going to retire there <laughs> um so I'm interested to know was there any other tropes that you felt <laughs> that yes I missed, so yeah?
0: I definitely had for, forced proximity in my list that the fact that they are circumstances bring them to be living pretty much on top of each other with a very thin wall um, separating their abodes. I just loved that. I loved that they could talk to each other through the wall. I thought it was adorable. I also thought there was elements of um, opposites attract but in the way that it's done when opposites attract is done well obviously like the two people find out over the course of the book that they're not actually that different after all. But on the surface of things, if you're walking down the street and you saw a Teddy and you saw a Ruthie, you might think, oh,
1: what are those two people doing together? <laughs> like, Definitely. Yes, yeah. I agree. I probably should have uh, thought of that first in my answer, shouldn't I? She's, uh, <laughs> when they meet at a gas station, put it this way, she's wearing her cool girl cardigan, um, which yeah. has uh, mushrooms and foxes on it. And Teddy's sitting astride a motorbike and wearing some really cool jeans and looking like the complete wrong guy for her, covered yeah. in tattoos, um, the best hair on planet Earth. And doesn't he know it? <laughs>
2: oh, my God, to talk about hair. hair. Got to I talk love about his the hair. <laughs> the hair is almost a character in and of itself. Um, um, there was some, like, hair envy going around from people, especially with our curly hair and then this lustrous, these lustrous locks. Um, yeah, I would like to, to have
0: to- Teddy's hair, but I've also <laughs> just yeah. got envy of Ruthie getting to, like, the number of times she gets to, like,
1: touch it. <laughs> uh, he's desperate for her to touch it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you like to pick something that maybe not everybody's into. Like, not everybody's into a long-haired guy that, you know, Teddy from behind with his hair out. He probably looks like a supermodel waiting to like walk the catwalk um, you know, in Paris yeah. Fashion Week. It's that kind of hair. It's very yeah. long and very black. But I just wanted to write something where the main character finds it so irresistible and she just wants to put her hands into this black gleaming stuff that um, I hope that the reader um definitely falls in love with the hair too and it is a character all on its own so good (laughs) pickup. it really it
0: really is it adds this like tactile element to a character who is he's all about being irresistible like his whole personality seems like to have developed for the sole purpose of charming people and getting and just being um irresistible and adorable which is like Again, I love the way you play around with tropes. It's not the immediate character trait you think of when you think of a tattooed guy on a motorbike. Um, so, yeah, Teddy. Teddy is a, a great character of, of sort of boring tropes, I thought.
1: Yeah, he was really fun to write and also extremely difficult to write. You would think a friendly golden Labrador of a human being would be really easy to write. And in a certain sense, he was. but it's very hard for a sort of straight-laced character like Ruthie. She's thinking, is he like this with everyone? Mm. Is he just charming me because I'm next door and I'm useful and he doesn't have any sheets for his bed? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's hard for Ruthie, as the story goes on, to gain her confidence in herself that, hey, yeah, I could be someone that this beautiful unicorn of a man would want to be with. So it was fun, but hard. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine that because uh, when you you're reading it and you kind of you know you you want you obviously want them to get together, but you don't want together get you don't want them to get together too quickly because then you have to put forced roadblocks in their way. And so this was brilliant that you were able to do the roadblocks were internal roadblocks, which I think is like so much truer to how you know people really are. And so I think that's the other thing in your books that you know you can really you, the what stops characters is really all about them. Um, and I love that, that you can really get that sense. It's, it's not just, you know, you know, circumstance. It's also, um, you know, you have, they have to learn and grow, um, to be able to kind of, you know, for, for, for the happy ending. And I, I really appreciate that because I think that's really not everyone does that. And so I really like it when, um, when you can get like more than, you know, you get to get so many different things out of the book. You don't, you know, and the humor, the humor in the book is the other oh. thing that like everyone in the office, like all of the, all of our team, like half our team have already read it. And everyone has just loved it, like, so much. And that's the one thing that everyone is also talking about, how it's just the, there's just something about, like, the, the characters, like, obviously the Paloni sisters are, like, just the best characters ever, like, ever. <laughs> and I'm just imagining, I just imagine them in my head and they just seem like, ah, oh, I, wish I, I wish I could know them, like, I wish they were real.
0: <laughs> I want to be them.
2: <laughs> hey, well, you guys, was, this is... Was that, <laughs> <you> were, they, <laughs> were they fun to write? They were fun to write,
1: and I think if you guys wanted to start putting extra into your superannuation accounts, now <laughs> there's no reason why you guys can't be roommates one day up on a hillside, <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> employing paloni boys.
2: <laughs> your, recycling,
1: your recycling bin yeah. crammed full of um, flat packed Prada carry bags, and
2: <laughs> yeah, it <seems> great. <laughs> it's,
1: good. it's good to aim high and look. The Pahlone yeah. sisters was such a treat to write because I like, I really like older people. And I think that it was fun to write these two ladies that just, they just like have lost their filter and they're old enough mm. that they just don't care anymore. All they, all they care about is life's pleasures and um, entertaining themselves with their um, string of uh, assistants that they systematically break down into husks of humans before they quit. <laughs> uh, so I, I enjoyed writing a mix of old and young and um, also just developing my skills a little more in terms of having more people on a page at one time. Um, and of course, we can't forget um, Melanie Sasaki, um, oh, <laughs> the temp that works with Ruthie in the front office. Um, yeah. And she's just that classic millennial with her phone always in her hand. Um, but she really wants to get Ruthie into the dating scene, um, and so she devises a method um, of, to uh, ease, ease Ruthie out of her turtle shell and down into a local bar, uh, hopefully. The Suzuki method. The, the Suzuki <laughs> method, that's right. Um, the only thing I, well, I, I feel
0: loved like that you actually learned that idea was yeah. uh, Teddy's curiosity about it, like, <laughs> okay. you Sarah so wanted to know what was going on with the sazaki method
2: <laughs> yes i feel like you could actually have you know if you just wanted to write a book that's a non-fiction book like you could probably write the Suzaki method as an actual book because i think that some of the things in there i'm like yeah these are these are all very very useful things and i love how uh it was used on melanie herself but for a different reason you can use the Suzuki <laughs> oh, philosophy
1: okay yeah. all right well i might work on that in my downtime. <laughs> Um, but funnily enough, in the final published version that um, our listeners will be buying, there is actually in the back, I do write an extract of the Suzaki method by Melanie Suzaki. So Oh
2: my god, that's awesome. <laughs> that's I've so rich, funny.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Just wait, just wait for the letters coming in telling telling from people telling you how that's changed their lives. It's gonna happen. Absolutely. I
0: thought I thought that. that that whole Sazaki Method plotline was very funny and on the subject of your the special Sally Thorne brand of humour we were talking about how you know you have written now three very different heroines that you can't say what a typical Sally Thorne heroine is because you've served up three completely different ones and so um, when you're looking for a common element in a Sally Thorne book, it really is the humour. And though they approach life differently and have different personalities, I feel all three of your heroines have a kind of common offbeat sort of quirky sense of humour that is just utterly charming. And the question, because I am getting to one, is <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that your sense of humour? Is that coming through in all of your heroines?
1: Well, I don't know. Does um, speaking to me right now make you think that I am indeed the person that has written these books? Uh, <laughs> yes. Are you saying it that I am actually, <laughs> actually incredibly charming and hilarious mm, and I'm, unforgettable and unputdownable? Thank you so that's much for the text. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, everybody says, you know, are these are you in these books? I am. I am soaking these books. I'm saturating every page and uh, how? what is the common thread with a Sally Thorne main character? Well, I guess it's Sally Thorne because I can't write any other way. I don't try to write this way. Um, this is not, an, this doesn't take work for me in terms of redrafting and redrafting and trying to make it sound like this. This is how it comes out. And this is important for anyone listening who wants to write themselves you have to just be yourself because, um, there's, you know, there's, there's no new, there's no new romance books, like in terms of the tropes or everything's been done. My first book, The Hating Game had a kiss in an elevator and I would (laughs) just laugh that I just wrote something so completely cliched, like, I mean, get out of here, Sally, but I, I wrote it my way and people, really pervy people often contact me and say that they just loved it they loved it a lot and um it was because so you just have to you got to work with what you got and you got to be yourself and um, i think that people when they read a book they can feel authenticity if you try to make something funny but it's not or if you try to sound like someone else or a bestseller it's never going to work because the reader will not feel your authenticity so yeah okay thanks for coming to my ted talk (laughs) i enjoyed it
0: very much (laughs) (laughs) uh if you were to say pick who uh, of your of your three heroines so so far which do you think you're most alike in personality if any maybe none i don't know maybe
2: maybe it's the heroes exactly right maybe yeah (laughs)
1: I think, I actually do think that I am a lot like, um, Teddy Prescott in many ways. Um, I do tend to try to, I have observed that sometimes I try to sort of take charge of a situation by being really friendly and really interested and attempting to be charming. And this is, this is sort of Teddy's little thing that he's got to, um, work on himself and he he knows that he does it. You know, he, he the situation when he meets the Paloni sisters and he, he he goes to work on people and he makes them love him. And I think Ruthie is very frustrating for him because she sees what he's doing. You know, <laughs> she's like, you don't need little old me to tell you that you're completely gorgeous and, you know, the brightest star in the sky. But he really would like to hear that anyway. And yeah. that's much what the book is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, by the end of the book, he needs that from her more than anyone. Um, which I suppose would be a spoiler, I guess. But we're... <laughs> like I said... We'll just
2: forge ahead. We'll forge ahead. It's more um, about the <laughs> there, not, not the actual, you know, ending, ending. It's the thing. Um, yeah. I'm not spoiling anything, but I loved... Um, I did love the ending and how everything happened in the end. That's all I'm going to say about it. That it was it's just... Very, extremely it's very satisfying. satisfying. Extremely yeah. satisfying. I finished it oh. and I went, yes, that's exactly what should happen and how it should happen. So thank, thank you. you for writing writing that ending for me. Well, wow, um, thank you for yeah. that lovely compliment. always <laughs> <That's how it's laughs> happen. <laughs> and I think anyone listening that goes, that hasn't read the book and then reads the book will also feel the same. I can't imagine anyone not being happy with that. Um, I needed to ask you, this is a question um, from um, one of our fellow uh, colleagues. She wanted to know, so you are Australian, obviously, you can hear your accent. Um, and you're, you know, you're, you're in Australia, but all your books not set in Australia. She's fine with it, but she just wants to know why, why, why did you choose to set your books in America?
1: They're not set anywhere. They're, they're I never say. Unknown I never place. say ah,
2: okay. That's a good answer. I like that. <laughs> it's
1: funny because they're not the hating game. I always figured to myself, I wrote the hating game as a gift for a friend. I did not write that as my big publishing dream. It was a gift for a birthday for a birthday gift for my friend. Wow. I'm like a really intense friend like that. is there anything <laughs> you guys need for you, want for your birthday, just name it. I will yeah. I'll make it happen. <laughs>
2: my own I, will, doll's house <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will make dreams come true. So anyway, yeah, so that was not written with the intention of being Sally Thorne. Um anyway, yes, with the hating game, I um I just decided that I would work it out later. And uh, I, oh, yeah, I met it, not- I got an agent and, uh, it went out to publishers. And when I, I got my book deal, I, f- I thought it would be the first conversation that we would have, you know, that I would have to ground it in a, a particular town or, you know, maybe yeah. I'd have to go and do some research, but they said that they liked it the way that it was, that the, yeah. the world was the office. And it meant that wherever you were in the world. You could imagine it wherever you wanted. I liked that because often when I'm reading a book, I will set it in a town or a house that I've been to before in my imagination. And when yeah. I um, spoke to my editor in London, she said to me, and I," she said, what I loved was that you set it in London. And I said, no, I didn't set it anywhere. Um, but because she'd imagined those streets where lucy and josh had walked to work and she worked in publishing in london that's where she thought it yeah. was so this book is now yeah. published in 26 countries and people can imagine it wherever they want and Everyone. yeah and i never say in second first impressions
2: where it is set. um i will consider no, um, i thought it was actually yeah their own thing i thought it was i actually because the only reason i said us is because that's what my colleague said whereas i was I thought the whole time, until we talked about thrift stores, that's what made it to me seem like American because the word thrift store is such an American thing to mm-hmm. say, whereas in Australia we say op shop and mm-hmm. in the UK they say charity shop. So it's that that kind of thing. But apart from that, if you took that word out, um, I thought it was set in the UK. It felt to me like a very much like an English countryside. And she was like, no, of course it's in America. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. I well, didn't
0: even think about enough. the setting. I didn't think about it at all. And I remember reading The Hating Game that I read the whole book and it wasn't until discussions after the book that um, we realised there'd be no city pinned down. But I love that about your books. Yeah. And I love that you're so caught up in the relationship that that stuff is just... Not really. It doesn't really matter. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, so speaking of the hating game, um, you you kind of burst onto the scene... Um, with this massively, massively successful debut, and um, like I don't know if if you would agree with me, but from our perspective in bookseller land, it seemed to be that Herald, this like just wave of rom com revivals. Um, and then, and then you've since then published ninety nine percent mine. Now you've got your third book. This is not the journey of every debut author to kind of like be such a world shaker and arrive with such. Um, massive success. So the question is, what is that like? And um, how do you think it's affected your journey as an author to kind of set yourself such a high benchmark right out of the gate?
1: Uh, Well, I've never had any expectation for this entire process. I am someone who has zero expectations. Um, As I said, this book was written as a gift. Um, If you think about it, second first impressions is also a gift for that friend in that office that we used to have these little chats about. So that's how I try to, I guess, two out of three books were gifts. And I think that's how I will continue on writing, finding that one person in my life that I think will really love this. Um, And uh, so every single step of the way has been a surprise. A really good team um, helping me out. Um, That's really surprised me throughout this journey is how many people are involved with um, creating a book, and I know that I am one part of that team. Um, so I, um, I'm always remembering that, and uh, I'm a much uh, bigger deal over in the states. So it wasn't until I did my book tour for ninety nine percent mine when I flew over and. Uh, I was walking to my first um, event, which was at the Ripped Bodice, um, which is a very famous romance um, brick-and-mortar bookstore in Los Angeles. I was walking over to the event, and I was waiting at the traffic light, and I had one of my, um, I had a pin on my my jacket of, of Lucy, and the girl at the traffic, uh, at the, the light next to me, she said, oh, are you going to the Sally Thorne event? I was like, <laughs> sure am. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, so And I, I met people at um, the KissCon um, big romance convention in Chicago that were, like, you know, they were, like, shook to meet me. And that was the first time that I realised that, um, okay, I've done something here and um, I've just been generally surprised and bewildered throughout this entire experience.
0: It's really, I, It's really amazing going back to my memory of, what was going on in romance publishing before the hating game came out and like it 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 might just be that things have to get to a certain level of popularity to really like ping for us so I can't speak knowledgeably about what was maybe or maybe not going on but it seemed like you you began this like written from the first person perspective romance that just hadn't been really happening or at least not happening with such mainstream popularity um and that was i think what made your enemies to lovers romance so different to ones that had been that had come along before cuz it's written in first person and you're very much in Lucy's point of view, and that was just something that didn't seem to be happening that much in in the genre. Would you agree with that? Or is that just very... I'm I'm a bit of a layman, and I don't know if I'm saying things that are just only true because I don't have enough genre knowledge.
1: No, it's okay. I think a lot of the things that people pinpoint that they like in my writing, you know, for example, the way that the characters are together, and I let moments sit maybe a little longer than... Um, other books do is um, because I'm really heavily um, influenced by fan fiction and I was writing fan fiction before I wrote The Hating Game Mm -hmm. I've got a huge fan fiction still up online it's like like 150,000 word Twilight fan fiction oh my god (laughs) (laughs) 150,000 so I mean I was writing at the same time that um, a lot of really well-known and well-published authors um, were writing fan fiction in that same space as me at the same time. So, for example, my best um, author friends, Christina Lauren, um, two, Mm. two people writing as Christina Lauren, they were writing fan fiction at the same time as me. And we became friends. And when they got their book deal, they said to me, if you ever write a book, give it to us so we can read it. And I did, and that's I. I said, "Oh, I, I wrote this for my friend," and uh, they passed it to their agent. And now I'm at the same agency. So, um, when you when you're writing fan fiction, you learn real quick what people like because you'll get feedback um, and a review within <laughs> the period of time it takes to read that chapter. And that's I learned that people yeah. people love that kind of really intense, um, hot fluttery together in the same room staring at each other feeling that um you know maybe maybe other people sort of want to move the i mean the bigger plot lines along but i just really like writing yeah. those small moments and um yes those- i think people
0: like living in those moments with you and it's um and it's like in large part because of your book that i've read so much more romance than i would have- Read otherwise, I think he, I just got into this like, well, I need more of that, and so then you yeah. have to like hunt out the similar authors, and it's yeah. a really um, like the romance genre is really big, and it can be really hard to go and find similar authors because I just feel like it's just hard to navigate. And so um, one thing that really points out a book that is kind of been published to appeal to Sally Thorne fans is those cartoon covers so like when you see one of those you're like oh okay like let's read this blurb and let's see if let's see if this appeals to me and I found a lot of authors through that.
1: Well I think that these cartoon covers also look really great in photographs and this is around the time when Instagram was starting to become more used and people really love seeing these sort of you know bright eye-catching Graphic mm. covers. They like to lay it down on a knitted rug with their eggs in shot <laughs> <of> <laughs> in long socks, holding a cup of tea in both hands. Yep. And and a flower. A photo. A flower. So, so natural. natural. This is how we spend our afternoon. <laughs> but you know, it, it can burn the author too, because sometimes I'll see a beautiful photo of my book next to a bunch of daffodils. I'll think, that's lovely, and I'll click on it and it'll be like worst book I ever read. <laughs> oh, <no! laughs> I'm like so much effort uh, involved <laughs> so, so to, just to trap me into reading this.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. The idea of someone going to all the trouble of taking a beautifully posed photo just to put in a bad review is somehow hilarious.
2: All the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely no good. Um, <laughs> the other little bit of the book that I thought was just very, uh, very charming was the whole uh, section, not section, It's like the whole um theme about the tortoises so did you have to do some research where's the tortoise tortoises something that you're you know a fan of yourself or where did the tortoises why tortoises uh
1: well uh i guess little bits of me are all through every book and um i own a horse and uh there's a stretch of road that i drive to visit my horse where after it rains all these idiotic turtles decide (laughs) that now's the time to cross the road and it personally <laughs> stresses me out because i'm like little buddy we can't be doing that so i have a special pair of tortoise gloves in the back of my car and ah. after it rains i'll pull over and depending, and, them. and depending uh. on which way the head is pointing you know i don't want to set them back you know half an hour's travel time yes so I, will, I will move them to the right side of the road and they always <gasps> look so ungratefully up at me with their little <laughs> little yellow eye <laughs> um so but uh that was, that was something as simple as that for an author can make it into a book. And um, yeah. Ruthie had a childhood dream of being a um, a vet. And so yeah. in her way, she still lives out that dream by carrying her own glove in her pocket and moving them off the path so that all the elderly residents don't squash them in their mobility scootle- scooters.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, that was some great, that was some great when they yeah. That is so charming. Around.
0: I don't even know what to do with myself. I, you have tortoise gloves. I just, I'm still, I'm still <laughs> caught up on that.
2: <laughs> and it also um, is such a great uh, plot point to be able to show, um, you know, when how when Teddy how Teddy interacts with uh, a certain tortoise. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, oh. Another side <laughs> to his character that you get to see. Yeah, I not, think
0: there's I'm two not... ways that you really fall in love with Teddy, and one is watching how he copes um, in his new job, because like this is a job that, that many people have not even lasted out the day, and the way the way he copes with that. And the other is his interactions um, yes. with the to- yes. with his tortoise. <laughs> yes,
1: I th- I do give Teddy a tortoise, and um, it is adorable. So uh, I don't think that's a spoiler. I think it's just a fact. No.
0: no, I think it's yeah. a
1: highlight.
0: <laughs> People should know, everyone should know about Teddy and his tortoise. Yeah. Um, so we've got, uh, we've, we've had the indicator it's from not. our, it's
2: really
0: <laughs> we've had the, we're at the halfway point warning <laughs> from our, um, our social media coordinator, so I will just ask one more question, and then we'll set you free. Um, so we know there's a film adaptation of The Hating Game in the works. We won't ask you about it because I feel like you probably get asked about that a million times a day. And um, anyone who wants to know when it's coming out can probably Google that information. But what I would like <laughs> to ask you is, it, were there to be adaptations of um, 99% Mine or, and Second First Impressions? Are there any people that you would like to see cast in those roles?
1: Hmm. Uh, well, No, I don't have any idea um, because I feel like as soon as I put even a thought or an expectation on something, (laughs) it just squashes it flat. Um, (laughs) So I think, I personally think that Second First Impressions would be a great film because it would give actors of all age ranges um, to go for.
2: And Mm -hmm. um.
1: I'm gonna to have to get a I, win I would for say,
2: whoever plays Teddy. There cannot be anyone in real life, surely, that has who could you get, who's that
0: charming. It would be really
1: hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just not possible. And Teddy's actually the inspiration for Teddy. Um, this is not very good for a podcast, but I'll show you guys. I actually have an inspiration for Teddy. Yay, um, visual aids oh, in a podcast. Okay. This visual is aid in a podcast. <laughs> this is Mattel's Japan <laughs> Kendall. Oh my
0: goodness! That's
1: so close to how I saw him in my head. So Japan Ken doll was um, given a special face sculpt, which basically makes him the most yes. attractive male doll ever produced. He has cheekbones. This is true. That cut shadow marks underneath these cheekbones, and he has this glorious head of black hair. And um, basically, I'm revealing to everybody listening to this podcast that my muse is a doll by Mattel. I'm not even embarrassed um, and uh, th- I don't think there's anyone on earth that could could top this doll. So um, no. you know, I'm, maybe I'm open to it being like a sort of like a stop motion. <gasps> stop <movie>. motion. <laughs> a, bar- a Barbie stop motion movie.
0: I can't think what would make me much more happy than that.
1: I know. But I, that is I... uncanny.
0: Your mental uh, image of him as that doll must have Come through the novel somehow, because the picture you painted in my head was just
2: pretty much that, except alive. <laughs> um, and for people listening, they can just Google Japanese Ken uh, Kendall, and they will be able to find uh, the glorious. We'll, the glorious.
0: We'll see if we can get Nick to put a link in the sh- in the
1: show notes. <laughs> <That's> your photo. <laughs> I knew this would go in a silly direction.
2: <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Wonderful. Are you? Um, um, okay. i I can ask one last question because that okay. was Sarah's last question, but not not mine. So, um, so I know this book is just about to come out. So, you know, which is great, when we're talking about it. Are you working on something new already, or are you taking a little bit of a break before you your next next book?
1: No, I generally um, run a couple of projects um, in parallel, um, mainly because that's a very inefficient way to work and live. And I am a procrastinator at heart. So I'm working on finishing up, I guess, what is my quarantine novel? Um, and uh, it's not even my publisher knows what it is. It's a oh. huge it's a huge risk to take. Um, I'm figuring out my, myself and I'm, I'm working on outsmarting myself. And wow. um, well, I'm, I'm a slippery little devil. And what <laughs> I do is I write half of a book and I let my agent or my editor read it. And they say, wow, that's so great. Um, we'll have the rest as soon as possible. And then I sit frozen here in, at my chair <laughs> crying for about seven and a half months straight. <laughs> um, so I don't recommend that as a way of conducting yourself in this kind of job. So, Everyone and, has their process though. Uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's a very in, inconvenient, uncomfortable process. So I'm now trying, writing an entire book like, in secret, like a gift, like I did with the hating game. No one knows. And I'm just going to say, Here you go. You. And the, there's a chance because it is very, very different that um, they might say, What the hell is this? And then I might have to start book four all over again. But um, it's something that's really um, different. It's not set in present day. And, and it is fan fiction of a sort. And it is incredibly disturbing and romantic and really funny. And I'm loving writing it. So I'm hoping that the publisher loves it too. So if someone's listening to this in several years time and they're like, this is nothing like what her fourth book was, (laughs) we'll just know that what what I'm working on now was crap but
0: <laughs> oh, what a pitch though everything you said has just explosions of yes please going off in my mind. It sounds amazing All right.
1: okay i'll get you go- i'll print you guys off a copy each down at office works and- ah
0: stop it <laughs> <laughs> i would die that would be amazing um sally thank you so so much for talking to us today it has been such a pleasure
1: thank you so much for having me i feel like my spend at booktopia is probably approaching. million. So to contribute in some other non-financial way to your fine establishment has been an absolute pleasure. (laughs) Oh, we
0: we need to make you a VIP customer (laughs) stat.
1: That's right. Am I a sponsor of this
0: podcast? (laughs) 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 Um, And everyone listening, you can get a copy of Second First Impressions by Sally Thorne as well as Sally Thorne's amazing backlist titles at the local bookstore. Or online at booktopia. Uh, Thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more.